Well, good morning, everybody. If you've got your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be there in just a minute. You can also go to our central hub and click on sermon notes and follow all along today. I just want to say, first and foremost, happy Valentine's Day to all of you out there, man. It's a day where we just kind of celebrate the affection and the love that we have for one another. And so, hey, here's what I want you to do. If you are in your home uh, next to someone you love, uh, would you snap a picture together, share it out on social, make sure you tag the church at Faith Church KS. We'd love to celebrate and just throw some love your way as we celebrate together, whether you're with your kids, your loved ones, or maybe you have a picture of a loved one. Man, snap it and let's celebrate uh, love. We can love because God first loved us, and so it's something right and holy. Uh, today, I hope you are ready to engage. You know, we've got snow falling in bucket loads, it feels like today, here in southeast Kansas, and uh, we're glad you are warm on the inside. I want to let you know, each week, our kids team puts together and releases a digital kids experience for your children fifth grade and under. There are two different experiences broken up by age group, and you can find that on our YouTube channel or, of course, right there on our central hub, and uh, you can click that, and those are ready for your children to worship, to learn on their level at any point in time today. They release each Sunday morning, and so I uh, wanted to make you aware of those things. And then the last thing I want to say is all of our connect groups are getting ready to kick off this month. And so now's the time to sign up for a connect group where you can gather in smaller areas. You know, here at Faith Church, we really believe that this isn't necessarily a church where you're going to know everybody, but we believe everybody can be known by somebody. And a great space is to jump in a connect group. And so if you're already in a connect group, Maybe reach out to another person that you've recently met at church and invite them to join you at your Connect group. Uh, there's a full list on our central hub of those groups getting ready to kick off. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, today, would you do something with me? I know most of you are there in your homes. We've got a few amazing people here with us who are helping lead worship and do different things. This is what I want to ask. Would you stand in your space, wherever you're at, would you stand for the reading of God's word today? We want to honor the word of God, as uh, we know it has utmost prominence in our lives, but let's honor God's word as we read. We're going to read Matthew chapter 6, um, it, starting in verse 12, and then I'll jump down to verse 14 and 15. Uh, I'll read, you just follow right along. This is what it says. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Lord, this is your word. And I pray over the next few minutes that you would help us Settle not only our hearts, our minds, and our environments, and Lord, may we fully focus on you. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and may our spirits really be ready to grab a hold of the truth that you want to speak personally to us. We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Hey, you can grab a seat right there. Forgiveness uh, is what I want to talk about today. We're at the point of the prayer where we are talking about forgive us, forgive us. You know, uh, one of the things I love about my wife, Amber, we've been married for 17 years now. And one of the things I love about her is that she is so quick to forgive. Like she's just really quick. We'll be in the moment where we're arguing about something and I'm like still fuming and frustrated and she's like, like it never happened. She's like ready to move on and kind of internally, I don't know how it all works in her heart. I think it's an absolute wonderful thing. Uh, and so I love that about her. But can I be honest? Like it bothers me a little bit that she has to be so good at it, right? Like I guess I've given her a lot of practice over the years to help in that way. You know, when I was, I was growing up, as, as most of you would, uh, your parents help you learn how to apologize, don't they? 
Like you're on the playground and uh, you happen to throw a rock at somebody and they start crying and you're like, it's not that big of a deal. He should have caught it. And if he was better at catching, he wouldn't have cried about it. And, and your mom's like, it doesn't matter. You need to go say you're sorry. And we tail between our legs, walk over to him. Sorry, you got hurt by a rock, right? Like not really sorry, but kind of sorry. I think there is a world of difference between acknowledging that you are sorry and admitting that you were wrong. There is a world of difference between feeling sorry that someone is hurt and acknowledging that you played a role in their hurt. I, I remember growing up, my dad would always uh, make sure we said it a certain way. He would always make sure we, we looked at our siblings or someone else and we had to say these words, I was wrong, please forgive me. Would you practice that at home? Right there where you're at, would you say that with me? I was wrong, please forgive me. Notice the word sorry wasn't anywhere in the equation. Because I think admitting we're wrong is actually the beginning point of receiving some forgiveness. I believe forgiveness is a gift that God gives to us. And it is a gift that we in turn give to other people. When we look at this text and the teaching of Jesus, these are some of the most hard-hitting words for me, some of the most challenging. There, there are things in the Bible that like, I'm just like, ah, man, God, that's really harsh. I mean, Jesus said it two different ways, one framing it in a positive light and one framing it in a more kind of co confronting negative impact. He says, if you forgive, man, your father's going to forgive you. And if you don't forgive other people, your father will not forgive you. It's this this really strong, troubling, kind of wrestling moment. And we have to remember that it's at this point in the prayer that Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray. He's not talking to the lost. He's not talking to those who have no relationship, no concept of God. He's talking to people who have given their life to Jesus, who are followers of him, and he's teaching us as people of God how to pray. And he's simply saying, when you pray, come to the moment in your prayer where you make confession. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our debts. Uh, you know, sin in its broadest sense is human activity that is kind of contrary to God's will and God's moral law. The term sin is primarily used in reference to external actions performed by human beings, murder, adultery, etc., lie. In other parts of the Bible, the term sin is expanded to include the inner actions of humans, such as our thoughts, even our desires. Sin is often portrayed as an entity not dependent on human actions, but rather a state of being alienated from God or an impersonal force acting within humans or societies against God. In other words, when you were born, we all were born with a nature that is sinful, a sin nature absent of God where it is missing the very life of God. Were you made in the image of God? Yes. In other words, you have the capacity and the bearers and little markings of God. But within you, there is this depravity, this awareness that you are not good and that you are sinful. Your nature, your operating system, if you will, the hardwired code within you is sinful. And it produces sinful things. Now, you can still do kind things. You can still love other people. You can still give people high fives. You can still let people cut in on you on traffic. You can still uh, be generous to other people. You can still do good things, but your nature is wrong. And so that is a part of talking about the sin side of things. But the other component is the reality that as people who follow God, there are still sometimes that we still sin. We surrender to God. God's changed us. He's given us a new nature. First Peter, I believe it is, or Second Peter writes, and he says that we become partakers of the divine nature of God. In other words, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead comes and makes us alive, makes us new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. Like there are all of these new things that happen when your faith gets placed in Jesus. But Jesus is letting us know that doesn't mean you'll never sin again. That doesn't mean that you're not going to make a mistake. And 
The Bible really uses the three main terms, often interchangeably, to reference this idea of actions that are taken by believers especially, by people who love God, that, that transgress or that come against and go against or go contrary in a way that doesn't reflect and it doesn't show the, the life of God. These three words, here are the three words. In fact, in some translations, depending on the translation that you're using and whether you're reading in Matthew or reading in Luke, these three words are used interchangeably within this prayer. Like one version will say sins, one version will say transgressions, and one version would say debts. And all through the scriptures, we see these three things used. Sins, transgressions, debts. Sins, transgressions, debts. And they're really all trying to communicate the same thing. It's sin is an archery term in the original language, and it just simply means to miss the mark. To miss the mark of God's best, to miss the mark of what God has intended, to miss to miss the mark of God's desire and morality, to miss the mark, sins, transgressions. This is where you cross a boundary line of another person's property. It's, I've now transgressed. I've, I've, I've trespassed is another way that they say it. Like you have this trespass, this transgression, this crossing of a line, something where you've outstepped the lane you're supposed to be walking in. And then there's this third one, debts. And the NIV and most translations, in, when they're recounting the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew 6, most of them use this word, debts. And this is a, an accounting term, obviously. We're, we're aware of the debts that we have, loans that we've got that are yet to be unpaid, the debt from credit card. Like We're aware of the financial aspects of it. And it simply means an unpaid obligation to God or to others. A debt is an unpaid obligation where you are obligated to make restitution for something. And it is yet to be paid in full. I think that the Lord is teaching us how to pray in this moment where he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us or who are indebted to us. Forgive them and forgive us. It's this component of recognizing. It's this moment in the prayer. It's this kind of prayer. It's, it's as we're praying the Lord's Prayer, we can pause and confess the sins, the transgressions, the trespasses, the, 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 the debts that we've accrued, that we've accumulated that have yet to be paid off. And as followers of Jesus, it is important that we don't just skip over this or generalize this and say, yes, yeah, 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 forgive us. You know, God, for all of those things that we have done, forgive us. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't do the right thing. Well, what right thing did you not do? What thing did you not say? Where did you actually miss the mark? What is the debt actually for? And Jesus is inviting us to come to a place where we stop and we pause and we say and we begin to confess the things that we've been unaware of and fully aware of, that have missed the mark, that have transgressed and crossed the line, that have tallied up a ledger and an account and a tab that we are obligated to fulfill or it's obligated to be fulfilled. But yet maybe we aren't the ones who can fulfill that debt. I think that there are three important things that we can do when we pray this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Three things. If you're taking notes, you can write these down, kind of help us. The first thing that we do when we come to this mode of prayer, this confessional prayer, is that we, number one, request forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. Jesus has asked us, compels us, and really is awaiting us to say, God, would you forgive us our debts? I think requesting forgiveness is first acknowledging and confessing that you have indeed sinned, that you indeed have tallied up a debt, that you have crossed a line. Requesting forgiveness or this for confession of what we have done. It is possible for you as a follower of Jesus to mess it up, to miss the mark, 
to, to transgress the ways of God. We, we've said it all along that God isn't looking for perfect people. He's just looking for wholehearted surrender. This is what God is after. And this is a part of what we get to do is bring him this surrender. See, I believe until we acknowledge the debt, the transgression, the sin, we cannot fully receive the forgiveness. Don't, don't miss me. Forgiveness has already been made available. Jesus has already paid the price. It's already on layaway, but you've not yet picked it up in that area. See, when we transgress, when we sin, when we have a debt to the Lord, man, there is something that hinders our relationship with God a little bit. It, 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 it crosses a line. It creates this relational disconnect with us and God. I'm not saying that our one sin makes us no longer children of God. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying that when we recognize that we've done something wrong, that there's a debt to be paid, we need to go to God and ask him, confess it, to, to repent to Jesus and say, say, Lord, here it is. I am requesting your forgiveness. And we express what it is, and he gives that forgiveness. I think until we're willing to admit that something was wrong, then we've never really acknowledged that we need to receive the forgiveness of God in that area. The first step that we do in this confessional prayer is to request forgiveness from God. I love Psalms 32. Look at, look at Psalms 32, verse 1 through 5. Listen to these words. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I think sometimes we don't request forgiveness because we're unsure if we are forgivable. Friends, if there is breath in your lungs, you are forgivable. Someone needs to hear this today. If you request forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess it to the Lord, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. You, you can't ask for forgiveness of someone else's sins and get it acquitted for them. No, no, that's their life, their walk with God. We're talking about you. And you request it. And when you request it, he gives it. He applies it to your account. He goes into the ledger and he says, debt forgiven. He pays the debt on your behalf. He's already got it. Your sin is not so big and so surmounted. The debt you've, you've racked up isn't a big deal to God. It's not. It's, it's like a millionaire going into McDonald's stressed out about whether or not they could cover the meal. They don't have to worry about it. There's plenty to cover the cost of whatever the bill would end up being. Listen, Jesus isn't running out of forgiveness anytime soon. The debt is already being able to be paid. It's up to us to request it. Forgive us our debts. We not only request it, when we're making this confessional prayer, this, this mode of prayer where we're confessing to the Lord and doing the heart work before the Lord, we request forgiveness, but we also need to release forgiveness. And this is a tough one, friends. This isn't the easy, this, it's not a, an easy thing to do to release forgiveness to someone else because the pain is real. The sin that they co committed against you, it, it could be really, really big time, and it could have really fractured the relationship. But Jesus says, if you will forgive them, then you will experience forgiveness yourself. And if you withhold the gift of forgiveness to them, then there is something that is withheld in your life from the Lord as well. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about a reconciliation of our relationship. 
There is something that will remain broken, fragmented, and separated in your relationship with God when you withhold forgiveness from someone else. And so we have to release it. And so the, the pattern of prayer every day when we pray, when we come to the Lord, maybe when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we come to this moment, we not only request forgiveness for the, for the stuff we've done, man, we get to clean-heartedly release the forgiveness to someone else. This is such an important part. See, releasing forgiveness towards others is simply to choose to adjust the balance sheet, writing that their debt has been paid, not by them, but by Jesus. It's simply writing that you're not going to hold someone accountable for a bill that only Jesus can pay anyways. This is what you're choosing to do when you release Forgiveness. Listen, God sees his own image reflected in his forgiving children. But to ask God for what we ourselves refuse to other men is to insult him. So much stress does this put, uh, uh, the Lord puts so much stress. He emphasizes this so much in this gospel, in this uh, particular teaching, and in other passages. And, and we're going to look at one here in a minute. If, especially in, in Matthew 6 here where he's putting so much emphasis on releasing forgiveness to other people. For, for simply the, the, the solemn understanding that there is a divine procedure that we get to play a part in, in being the image bearers of God by choosing to act generously like God in releasing forgiveness to someone else. Friends, I, I wanna be really, really clear. Releasing forgiveness for something someone else has done is indeed a decision. Healing, restoration, being uh, reconciled, that is a much longer process. A process that cannot begin until you first release. Essentially, Jesus is asking us to realize that the debts that we would want to hold on somebody else that he won't hold against us if we'll release it to others. There is this understanding. In fact, Jesus tells another parable uh, in Matthew 8, chapter 18 on this subject of forgiveness. And Peter had asked a question, Lord, how, how often should I forgive others when they, when they sin against me? And and he, he's like, yeah, like seven times? Like if somebody, one person, seven times in a day, totally rack up a debt, create a transgression, do the wrong thing. If, if they do it seven times, Lord, is that enough? Should I forgive them that many times? And Jesus is like, yo, Peter, uh, not just seven times. Like 70 times seven. That's how many times in a day you ought to be able to release forgiveness to somebody else. He wasn't giving us an exact number. He's basically saying it's unlimited, friends. It really ought to be unlimited because God's forgiveness to you is unlimited the minute you request it. It's unlimited in these moments. And in Matthew 18, he, he begins to tell the story about a, 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 a man who owns a lot, this king, this ruler, and, and he has this servant who comes to him who owes him a ton of money. I mean, we're talking bank loads worth of money. And he comes and he begs and he says, Lord, I, I, uh, please, please, I, I can't pay this debt. It's too big. I don't have this much money. There's, there's nothing I can do. Would you please give me more time? Would you, would you help me? And, and, and the king decides to be generous and benevolent and says, you know what? I'm gonna cancel your debt. I'm going to forgive it. I'm no longer going to account this sin, this, this debt that you owe me. We're just going to write it off as no, no big deal. It's over. It's covered. It's paid for. And the servant's like, I'll oh, thank you so much. The servant leaves. And as he goes, he remembers that there's another servant who owes him a little bit of money. Not a lot, just a little bit, especially in comparison to what the king just forgave. And he goes to this other, this other servant and says, hey, Pay up, buddy. You lost the bet. You came and did it. I loaned you this. You haven't paid it back. Pay up. And the servant's like, please, please, give me a little bit more time. I can't do it. I, I don't have enough money to pay it. And, and the servant looks at him and says, no. And he, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you accountable. No, you've got to do it now. And he's trying to like get him thrown in jail, take him to court, sue the guy. And the king hears word of this. 
and becomes furious. Summons the, the first servant back to his courts and says, did I not forgive you a huge amount? And did you not turn around and go to this other servant and like hold him accountable and refuse to forgive him his debt? He's like, I didn't. And, and he says, here's what's going to happen. Listen to the words in Matthew 18, 32 and 35. Then the master called the servant in, said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers, listen, to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. He's talking about the relationship between brothers and sisters, the family of God. And he says, I'm going to give you to the jailers. You're going to be captive and tormented until you can find true forgiveness. Friends, when we withhold and choose not to release forgiveness to someone else, we are the ones who get bound captive. We are the ones who miss out on peace. We are the ones who feel tormented in our own minds and we don't experience real freedom. And all Jesus is waiting on us to do is to release forgiveness to them. Releasing forgiveness is a decision. Healing and restoration are a longer process. Friends, if, if this is resounding with you and you're, you're sitting here listening and you're like, yeah, but what about this? And it's just a tough thing. And, and you know there's things in your past that you haven't really found healing from, you haven't really felt forgiven from, or, or maybe it's just kind of this continual thing where you know, man, you're just ate up on the inside because of what someone else did. We, we want to help you and walk you through. One of our small groups or connect groups that we have is called Freedom. And it's designed to help you walk through what the Bible says about forgiveness, help you to understand what it looks like to live in a way where you experience the fullness of God in your life and to walk out free rather than living bound in a cage. And uh, you ought to check it out. If you haven't been through the freedom group, you need to go through it and allow the Holy Spirit through the word of God, through the, the company of others, walk you through a process to find real healing, real freedom as you learn how to first take that first step of releasing. We request forgiveness. We release forgiveness. And a third part of confessional prayer is what's called repentance. Repentance. When the Bible uses the word repent, it's most often this word metaneo, which means repenting and changing one's mind. In the New Testament, generally, it, it refers simply to changing one's mind and turning back to God. The opposite of repentance, I believe, hear me, is rebellion. When we choose not to repent and turn back towards God, we are essentially saying, I'm going to rebel and continue to go the opposite direction of God. And repentance is to think differently in our mind to say, you know what? This way I've been going, this belief that has been leading my life a certain way, I've been basing my life on a certain pattern of behavior because I believe certain things. And to sit there and say, wait a second, God says differently. God doesn't, God says, I don't have to live this way. God says there is hope, there is restoration. And you begin to change your mind about your sin, about your life, about your habits. And you're like, no, 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 I'm gonna go in a different direction. God's way is better than doing it my way. I I need his grace to walk freely in this life. I don't have to be the same mean old cuss that I used to be. I can repent and turn and go a different direction. Repentance doesn't mean crying. Repentance doesn't mean feeling shame. Repentance doesn't mean like uh, standing before everybody, like bearing nakedness, your soul and your worst sins. Like that's not repentance. According to the Bible, repentance is moving in a different direction moving in a direction of God. 
And you can choose to walk in rebellion away from God to uh, even as a person who has been saved and in the family of God. I believe you can apostate. In other words, you can turn around and say, no, I'm going to reject God entirely again. And I'm going to move my own direction and be the Lord in my own life again. I think that is possible. But even in so doing, repentance is simply always available to turn around by the grace of God and go back in his direction. I don't believe repentance is necessarily the same thing as forgiveness when we're requesting our sins and all of these things. I think repentance is, is, is more along the lines of this. I think requesting forgiveness is the prayer that we pray. It's the confession that we make. Repentance is the correlating action because we believe we are forgiven. Why would you turn and go the other direction, repentance, if you never first acknowledged that you needed to be forgiven? If you never acknowledged that you were indeed going the wrong direction? I think repentance is the appropriate response to receiving forgiveness. When you request forgiveness and you receive forgiveness from God, you know what the proper response is? Repentance. It's I'm going in this direction and I realize, wait a second, this isn't the way I need to be walking. I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm transgressing against God. I'm racking up a bunch of moral debt to God. And I request, God, would you forgive me? Would you would you help me? Would you allow me to receive your forgiveness? That's forgiveness. That's requesting forgiveness. But repentance, I believe, is the action of choosing to begin to walk a pattern and a life in the right direction now towards God. I think repentance is the proper response to requesting and receiving forgiveness. I really do believe. And, and listen, I think repentance is when we, we turn and return to God, allowing him to restore us, to restore the relationship that was fractured, to restore the, the disconnect, to, dis, to, to, to restore the separation that has occurred because we were walking in the wrong direction. We were walking off course. We move off to the side. Now repentance is turning and returning to God, allowing him to restore us, friends, I think we can forgive because we first knew God forgave us. We release forgiveness and request forgiveness and we're able to repent and walk out our forgiveness simply because God went first in the forgiveness. There's a theological term called imputed righteousness. It's a, another kind of accounting term. This accreditation to your account based on somebody else's actions or payment. It's a, somebody paid for it, you owe it. Somebody else paid for it, we're gonna credit your account in this way. It's righteousness that you don't have because you're not a follower of Jesus or because you've sinned, you've fallen short. There's this sense of, I, I haven't received the grace of God in my life, but I can receive it because Jesus provided it. Where I had a deficit, God says, I'm giving you credit for it. Look at Romans 4. This is really where you see, I think, one of the clear pictures in Scripture of this idea of imputed righteousness. Romans 4 says this, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was, look at this, it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were not written for him alone, talking about Abraham, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. You may be sitting there thinking, Pastor, I don't feel righteous. I don't feel forgiven. I, I don't know that I've ever been able to forgive other people. The reason you've never been able to really forgive others is you've never repented and allowed Jesus' righteousness to become your righteousness. You've never really received the forgiveness of God yourself. You can't give what you've never received. This is why it is the grace of God in our lives. He said, God will credit righteousness to your account for us who believe in him, 
who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life. Don't miss this. For our justification. That's a legal term. The scales of justice in the courts of heaven. God's holiness against your life. Those are the scales. It's not your good deeds versus your bad deeds. That's not what's on the scale in heaven. It's God's holiness and righteousness and purity against your good, your bad, your ugly, your everything. And when you choose to put your faith in Jesus and you say, God, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins and I give you my full allegiance. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to repent. I'm not going my own way. I'm going your way. You know what happens? Jesus comes, kicks you off the scale and he comes and stands in your place. He counts his righteousness to your side of the scale and his righteousness, Jesus's righteousness and God's holiness balance out perfectly and he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification chapter 5 verse 1 says this therefore since we've now been justified through faith we have peace with God no more torment no more wondering if you've been forgiven or not no more questioning if you're worthy of the forgiveness or not. No more questioning if God will forgive you so you just don't ask. You avoid it. You act like it wasn't sin. You call it something else. You call it, oh, it's just a simple mistake. No, it was a sin. And we can have peace with God through our Lord Christ Jesus through whom we have now gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character produces hope. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, while we were still in our rebellion, while we were still moving in a direction away from God, while we were still in our nature dead because of sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, the scales again, by his blood, we, how much more shall will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, this week, as you pray the Lord's Prayer, I want you to pause. When you say, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Request forgiveness, acknowledging and admitting the sins, the transgressions, the debts that maybe you've committed, knowing that when you confess them, Forgiveness is applied to your account in a beautiful way, and there is peace with God. Don't just request forgiveness. Pause and release forgiveness. I'm not saying you need to make a phone call and try to become best friends with somebody who hurts you. That's probably not healthy in a lot of scenarios. But you can release forgiveness and no longer hold them accountable for a debt that they will never be able to pay anyways. Just release it to God and release them to God and walk at peace again. And where necessary, repent. Pause. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and repent. Ask the Lord. 
Lord, am I walking in rebellion in some area of my life? My attitude and how I'm living, the things that I'm working, or, or do I need to... I need to repent and turn around and move back towards you and allow your relationship to begin to be restored. Friends, it doesn't matter how long you've lived in rebellion, reconciliation is still possible. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you've actually talked to the Lord and admitted your wrongdoings, but you can receive reconciliation. This is why we come to the Lord's table every single week. We receive the juice which represents his blood and the bread which represents his body, recognizing that that was indeed the full payment of all your sins. God set up a credit bank in heaven that anytime you need to make a withdrawal to cover a debt that you incurred, while in his family or outside of his family, it's available to you through Jesus because of what he's done at the cross. As we get ready to take the communion, I, I want to remind you of a story. A story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, a parable. And in this story, there was a man who had two sons. One of his sons came to him and said, um, I want my inheritance. I want to live my own life. I no longer want to be in your family. And the father said, okay. Gave him his inheritance, sent him on his way. And as he went on his way, went out, partied, lived life on his own terms. He was his own God. He denied himself no pleasure in any space. He explored everything and gave him anything he wanted whenever. The Bible says he squandered his wealth in wild living. Then he realized he was broke and poor and destitute. And he went to try and find job with a pig farmer. And he's working with the pigs, feeding them slop. And, and all of a sudden he's eating the slop himself. And he realized even the people who are slaves in my father's house, the servants, they... They at least eat better than pigs. Maybe my father will allow me to be at least a servant. I'm not worthy of a son. There's, there's no way I could ever be reconciled. I never could get put back in the right standing as a citizen in my house. But, but maybe I could earn my keep and do enough good to at least have a roof over my head and food to eat. So he decides to go back home. And the Bible says while he was a long way off, he was a long way from being in the house. He was a long way from being where the father was. He was a long way. My guess is he was at the very beginning of the road. And the Bible says while he was a long way off, the father was looking for him and leaves the porch where he was watching and goes running to where the son is. And he grabs the son and he picks him up look at it Luke, Luke 15 it says so he got up and he went to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him the son said father I've, I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your sons but the father said to his servants quick bring the robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a party and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. Now he's been found. Friends. The father wasn't going to let him live a life where he had to earn his keep. Friends, it doesn't matter the life of sin you've lived, whether as a Jesus follower, you've made some bad mistakes, you've done the wrong thing, you've transgressed, you've racked up some debt. It doesn't matter. Your father wants to restore you when you repent and when you request the forgiveness. He wants to restore you to your family position, adopt you in, bring you in. He wants to give you a ring 
a ring with signet of the family's authority. Anyone who saw the ring knew that that person now had the full authority of the family. This biblical, biblical understanding of what the ring represented. The, the story says he put a ring on his finger, says this now is a person who is in the family and has the full authority of the family from this day on. He put a robe on him, a robe to cover his shame, a robe that covered his rags, a robe that was righteousness. It's the righteous robe of God. It's the royalty of the king that you get robed in. It's not your good deeds, it's Christ's good deeds. It's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. His purity is now what is clothed. It's now what is seen. So when God looks at you and he looks at me, he doesn't see our filthy rags of good deeds and bad deeds. He sees Jesus' righteousness. He gives you a robe and he gives you sandals to signify that the transaction is done. It's final. The, the sandals and the shoes were customarily, they played a role in a transaction between two parties. Shoes in the New Testament often represented peace. He was standing on solid ground on a sturdy foundation. Friends, when we repent of our sins, whether for the first time believing in Jesus being adopted in or as sons and daughters who have gone astray, sons and daughters who do the wrong thing, friends, we are restored to our family's name, given a robe of righteousness to wear. Friends, the depravity you were born in was buried in the waters of baptism. You were born again as sons and daughters of God, heirs with Christ Jesus, dressed in the robe of Christ's righteousness with the full authority of the family name behind you. Friends, when... When you became a believer, when you choose to be a follower of Jesus and you repent, there's a new nature born within you. You choose which nature you feed. You can feed your sin or you can feed the spirit. And whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to be dominating and operating within you the most. Friends, you have a father who's waiting to forgive you to restore you when you repent, when you request forgiveness, when you release forgiveness. This is good news for you and me. And this is what we celebrate, what we remember, and what we allow God to do in us today. Would you bow your heads right there, wherever you're at? And would you just begin to examine your own life and heart? Look at the the balance sheet of your life for a minute. Do you need to request forgiveness as a son, a daughter, somebody who's made the mistake, done the wrong thing, you've missed the mark, and you need to receive some forgiveness for some things? Maybe you need to release forgiveness to someone. Or maybe you know you're a far away from God. You've never given your life to him and you've been rebelling for a long time, doing it your own way. But today you want to turn around and repent and give your life to Jesus and believe in him, in his name, and in his forgiveness, and in his righteousness, and experience the peace of God. This is your moment. This is your time. Would you, here in this moment, have the conversation with God that you need to have? Request forgiveness, release forgiveness, or maybe repent and turn your life around by believing in Jesus today. Father, we know that we're dearly loved because while we were still trapped in our sin, while we were still living an ungodly life, you sent Jesus to die for us. And Lord, even sometimes as sons and daughters, people in your family, God, we miss the mark. We transgress. We cross the lines that we shouldn't cross. We withhold forgiveness when we ought to be forgiving it and giving it away. God, we, we rack up debt. and We don't know how to pay it. But today, God, as we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we receive your complete restorative forgiveness 
putting the robe, the ring, and the sandals all together as we are yours. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take the bread. Lord, I thank you right now. You're just bringing peace to people's hearts. Peace into their homes. Thank you, Lord. Now the juice. Father, we thank you that you are such a loving, wonderful Father. Lord, you knew that not only do we need to put our faith in you so that we can begin a relationship with you. Lord, you knew that there would be moments and things that we would do that would distort, distract, or even break the relationship with you. And because of what Jesus did at the cross, we can have confidence to bring those things to you, receiving forgiveness and releasing the forgiveness. May our hearts always be turned towards you and may this week we walk after you. And where we miss it, where we mess up as followers, would we be quick to repent and request that forgiveness, knowing, Lord, that you are going to release it to our account? And Lord, would you convict our hearts, help us clean out our hearts, releasing forgiveness to others. As we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive debtors. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. And thanks for worshiping and singing. And I pray God spoke to you. If you need prayer or you want to talk with somebody, would you reach out this week and let us know if we can serve you, help you in any way. But man, this week we got groups getting ready to get started. So make sure you check out a connect group. And uh, we can't wait to see you next Sunday, right back here, same normal times, 930, 11, in person and online. We love you. Have a great, happy Valentine's Day. God love you. Hey, friends and family. I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.